This is Nick Hyam from thewholenessofexperience.com. You're listening to Potent Pointers from the Non-Duality Podcast. We look around us and we believe that what we see are external separate objects, external subjects. And we look within ourselves and we find this internal subject and we find various objects like feelings, thoughts, and so on. So we have an internal world and an external world, apparently. This is purely conceptual, even though I appreciate it seems literal, it seems real. And this is about questioning the apparent reality of what you experience. And not just stopping at the superficial appearance of things, not just stopping at the labels. What's amazing about this exploration, when we delve into non-duality, when we delve into the question, what is real, what is true? What is life, what am I, who am I? What is amazing is that we can explore anything. We don't have to simply discount anything and say, oh, well, it's all conceptual. Nothing is what it seems, so I'm just going to kind of bypass the appearance of things intellectually because that's what we've heard. We don't have to deny any experience. We just have to question what we're believing to be true and we can start anywhere making and engage with anything. Everything is an appearance of experiencing. This occurrence I'm calling glass is a certain shape of of the experiencing mode we call seeing. So seeing takes the form of a glass and so on. If you believe that you're separate from something, if you believe that the glass, whatever it is, is not you, is separate from you, it's because you're defining yourself as the, the character and you're overlooking the fact that the character is just one apparition of this awareness that you are. Whatever you're defining yourself as is held in the same experiencing that you are as anything else. It's made of the same stuff as anything else. Really, being doesn't forget itself because it's always itself, but it may have an experience of losing itself, maybe even the desire to find itself. You know, we call that being human and we go on that search in so many different ways. And all those attempts to get that fulfillment, get that completion, are just a desire to come home. And as you said, this the home is here now. It's the starting point, it's the finish line. This precious simplicity of being. And it can be celebrated. Celebrated in the getting lost and celebrated in the remembering and the finding. When you start to get more sensitive with experience, more sensitive with who you are, like just really sensitive to the nature of your experience and feel into the subtleties of what's arising all the time and keep coming back to that place, you start to notice that actually nothing is outside of you and anything you are feeling is because you are buying into some belief about a situation. 
that experiences, if they don't align to some preconceived notion of what experience should be or what maybe an enlightened person might experience or what maybe the qualities of a good experience is versus a bad experience or maybe some idea of what a sage, you know, might experience or if I or some idea that if I was in awareness all the time, what that experience would be like. If it doesn't match any of those notions, then you're going to reject the experience immediately. The second you reject it, the body tenses, it does what it can to reject it. The mind tenses and it, it kind of fuels this circuitry of, of fear and anxiety and whatever else seems to be going on that is always unwanted to say the least. But it recognizes itself. It's not you as what you've taken yourself to be recognizing, oh, this is God, this is water. Oh, okay, I'm do- I've done well here. It is an obvious recognition of what is already there. It's not something the ego thinks into itself into going, oh, yes, I see, this is water. Yes, I can see it now. And, and you, you try and bend yourself in a certain way or manipulate your mind in a certain way, subtly or grossly, or manipulate your experience in a certain way to see that it's water. It's not like that. That's actually more of the same nonsense and same delusion and rejection of the energy. What actually happens is it's just recognized as itself. It's like, how long does it take you to look at your hands? Relatively speaking, uh, you know, how long does it take you to look at your hand and recognize that it's yourself? Zero duration. It's just obvious. No one needs to tell you that's your hand. You know immediately. It's an immediate light speed, no time lag, immediate knowing. And I'm saying that your body is a microcosm of reality. Your actual human body is a microcosm of reality. Your actual body is reality. And as reality, you are in all places at all times instantaneously. There are no places and times other than you. It's just immediate so there's no space between you and something else you are the space (laughs) you are the experience you just are immediately there and the only way really to see that is to stop playing the games of otherness within you know it gets really really subtle but it's literally already the case so you've got something which is already the case without you doing any mind gymnastics or anything you have to assume there's a separate person to then create a tree out there which i now need to become one with you've actually in time you've created a game (laughs) like the game appears within you know the illusion of time but actually in the instant you're already there you're there actually during the game is being played as well you're already totally one with anything you see or hear or feel or touch there's nothing separate from it it is you you are it not the ego you're not it's not the the ego is the thing that's like one with everything the ego is an expression of the oneness sure but it's not actually the thing so you can start thinking i'm one with everything okay i get it i think i get that it's like no that's not it (laughs) it's already the case doesn't need to be thought about it doesn't require any thinking to you don't need to think that i'm one with anything or you don't need to do any mental gymnastics you don't need to take it apart logically because it's already 
that's already the situation. When you feel into what beliefs are, they, the thoughts that come up, they've got their own sort of texture and they're just as much a part of experience as everything else, which makes them infinite. And therefore they can't be separated from this amazing divine flow of infinity. <laughs> so they don't need to really go anywhere. But the difference is, is when you really truly have seen that the beliefs can't possibly be telling the truth. No, no belief, no matter how profound can be telling the truth because it just can't, it can't be fitted into these limited symbols of called words, just impossible, can't fit reality into it. And therefore all beliefs are rendered false. But it's like sitting on the sofa, really believing that you're the video game character that you're playing on the television <laughs> between that and sitting on the sofa, knowing that you're just playing a video game. It's like, that's the difference. It's like the beliefs can still be there. You can enjoy like the beliefs to play with as part of the character, but that's a very, very different way of perceiving life and reality. And this is not to diminish the character in any way, like calling it the character sums up, like sounds like sort of a diminishment of this amazing human life I seem to find myself in. But if I believe that I'm just a human being in a world then I'm doing myself an injustice, really. I'm, I'm not doing myself any favours because I'm just believing that's the only truth and everything becomes terrifying, suffering becomes heightened. There's a very vulnerable state. Like you said earlier, that Neil Donald Walsh says, you can only, God can only know itself through what appears to be other than God. And suffering, human suffering, I would say, is at the far reaches of what can be quote-unquote other than God seem to be not actually but seem to be that's really you've entered the house of mirrors and the mirrors are state of the art like trickery like they've really gone to town on this house of mirrors this is like um designed by like some kind of super hyper intelligent disney world creator also you've got this other option and if you're listening to this that means you're even just starting to question things it doesn't matter what kind of quote-unquote level you're entering this at it means the fact that you're listening to podcasts like this you're starting to go wait a minute is there another way of perceiving life yeah exactly we are here to remind you that you are home and whatever it is you are experiencing whatever it is you're going through is unfolding within home and is made of home so therefore nothing is foreign nothing is unreal the labels attached to what's here within home are not real they're imaginary conceptual made-up ideas but the essence of what is here is home nothing is foreign in that sense everything is made of that home that home ground the only ground there is, it's this existing ground of presence. What is it that is present? So there's a glass here. Nothing wrong with naming it a glass. It just isn't its entirety. That word can never sum it up, cannot conclude what it is. Like it's okay that it appears as a glass and it's used as a glass. There's a utility there. We're not saying labeling is wrong again. And we've hopefully we've hit that home enough today we're not saying any of it is wrong we're just saying there's another way every mode of perception is equal because it's all taken place within the, within home all equally held with the same appreciation and, and regard within home within reality within god within you
Once you recognise what the nature of ignorance is, you notice its benign nature. And actually, it's just pure creativity. It's this magic show, Maya. It's the creativity of consciousness. So all of these experiences are life, reality, the natural state. Yeah. So to say natural, well, fundamentally, it's a redundant word because there's no unnatural. No, exactly. There's no primary and secondary. It's not a new state to reach, to achieve. And the state you're in now is actually that natural state. We seem to be caught in ignorance and there appears to be a a veil of untruth on top of this pure, unthinkably, inconceivably radiant power of the natural state of reality. But that veil is made of the same light. This creativity of consciousness is, is actually okay. It's not a destructive process. It's a creative process. And there's nothing that needs to be removed in that sense. You don't have to knock down the structures. You don't have to even go through every one of your concepts and disprove them. Just recognize the nature of concepts. It's, it's the creativity. It's the expression of the ground. And it's miraculous. It's astonishing, this presentation that you are engaged with and that you are manifesting as reality, as the natural state. We could call that yoga. Yoga means union. For what purpose do you do yoga to recognize unity? Union is the act of becoming one, of uniting, whereas unity is the fact of oneness, the fact of inseparability. To live is to do yoga because through living, even as we know it, even as a person experiencing duality, an external world of other people and objects, even that, it's this beautiful dance of intelligence meeting intelligence because intelligence, aliveness, the sentient consciousness is the nature of all there is. That meeting, that union, that yoga is what's going on at all times through every action, in every situation you experience. You're calling yourself home. Mm. And here's the paradox, in language at least. You are home. So there's no paradox beyond language. You are home. You are home experiencing different versions, different forms of home and that in that includes feeling homesick and then wanting to return to the natural state and that is that is that then compels you to do union to do yoga so you don't stop the process of union that's all that's going on you can't stop it you don't need to stop it when it is this absolute infinity, absolute transcendence, and yet it looks like all of this specificity, all this diversification. How does that work? When you go and look, look at it, look very closely at anything, you see how it works. It's very clear. You know, um, the, 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 the specificity, the patterning only holds up if you don't look too close. As soon as you look close, it opens up into indeterminacy and into infinity. You know, the less specific you are, the more specific it can seem to be. 
and the more specific you are, but by trying to pin down exactly what it is, the more nebulous and cloud-like it gets. Anything. And this is intrinsic, and in it's in the nature of the radiance. It's just like that. You know, try and pin down exactly what anything is, and you can't find anything. And yet, if you don't look too closely, it seems very concrete and solid and obvious. Yeah. So, uh, lack of, you know, you know, delusion holds up from lack of examination, but it won't stand up to a thorough examination. You know, because, the, because again, the, pattern, the apparent patterning exists, but it's an apparent patterning of something that's intrinsically unpatterned because it's infinite. Yeah. You know, a good way to understand that is like a fractal. You know, a fractal seems to have a pattern if you just glance at it, but if you look really closely at the details, you know, you go into the Mandelbrot set, and what exactly does it look like? And the, you go in, and all of a sudden, whoop, you know, it's just like, oh my God, it just, you know. It's like patterns within patterns. Yeah, with forever. Patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns with no bottom. Yeah. You know, and so what, so what shape is it? It's meaningless. Depends on how you look at it. And, and experience is exactly the same way. The shape of anything depends on how you look at it, and there's no limit to the ways you can look at it. So, what shape is anything? Any? I can't say. And so, so the shikarma, which is essentially shape, or specifics of what things look like, this is this and that's that, you can't find an actual this, you can't find an actual that, all there is is the you know, the, the, the interface, the, the, the presentation of some apparent degree of patterning that is essentially a presentation of something that's intrinsically unpatterned. So therefore, there are no real blocks. There's no concealment. There's only the revealing, the revelation of reality as all of this, as this, or whatever this present moment consists of, this is the revealing, the revelation. It's like, here I am. I'm showing up like this. I'm showing up like this. This is me. This is me. This is me. And it's kind of like in your face. And you're like, no, no. I've got to push that away. I've got to change it. I've got to find the, the truth. But this is truth. This is all truth. It's just what you think any of this is, is not actually that. It's not that thought. Those thoughts are not true. The labels are not true. But what any of this stuff is made of is just truth itself, reality itself. So yeah, really get close, be with this, and then you'll recognize that you can't not be with this because that's all you're ever being with. Peter said this, you know, and it's basically in line with that, is all systems of analysis are differing perspectives on this sole actuality. All philosophies, all schemes of description, all human analytical thought, religions, philosophies, sciences, spiritual paths, all theories, etc are of nothing other than the absolute the infinite non-linear miraculous way that it is what it is enables it to seem to be in all these various different ways that these systems of thought describe or imply but of course all thought fails to accurately indicate its true nature as peter said you know this is freefall you are infinity falling through infinity infinitely <laughs> And that is all that has ever been happening and all that will ever happen. Wake up and smell the endlessly falling through infinity. 
<laughs> so instead of wake up and smell the coffee, you wake up and smell the endlessly falling through infinity because that's what's happening. And it's kind of like once you start realizing it, it becomes more and more obvious and it starts slapping you across the face with that fact. Everywhere you look in any any quality of experience, even something you just think is so mundane, so obvious, so boring, just the sensation on the tip of my finger or something. If I look into that, it's it's infinite. It's like, <laughs> this is why the doorway to, into reality is always there no matter what. Peter Brown said something along the lines of, um, this isn't a direct quote, but this is what I remember he said. He, um, he said, the difficulty isn't in reality seeing itself because reality can only ever see itself. It's only ever noticing itself. That's not the difficulty. The difficulty is in the uh, that ignorance, the pull of ignorance is, is so strong. It's actually the misinterpretations are so strong in their pull. Like they're so hypnotic and seductive. It's not that reality's Reality is always seeing itself, even in the ignorance, even in the misperceptions, even in the misinterpretations. But they're so hypnotic and have got such a strong pull to them. That's the only difficulty. That is the only difficulty is is not going via those. It just it's so it's just got a lot of momentum, a lot of weight to it. Uh, seemingly, that's nothing's actually obscuring anything. Everything is what he calls radiant presence. You know, that is what is. (laughs) We just kind of dumb that down in our interpretations when all that ever existed was this infinite radiance. He would always direct you back to that. In the simplest of ways, he would just say, that this is happening at all. Stay with that fact. Stay with the actuality, he would say. The actuality of what is here right now. Not your ideas about it, not your concepts, not not your sort of past experiences of what it might be or anything you've read about it. Really don't assume anything. Don't assume absolutely nothing. Every single moment is like the Big Bang. It's always f- totally fresh. Reality is always refreshed in refresh mode. Yet we have a way of, of as Peter would say, orienting to it, <laughs> which um, is that we continue the momentum of the storyline that seems to have been happening and then say, well, this moment's just like the last moment. And that's very sort of hypnotic. That's hypnotic. You kind of feel yourself get pulled into that flow of, yeah, it's time just traveling along and it's exactly how it was a moment ago and it's going to be like this in the next moment and then i'll extrapolate a future where it'll be like this i feel tired now so i'm always going to be tired (laughs) is one example um so it's 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 just not like that though it's that's a very as peter would say a very heavy-handed way of looking at it a very heavy-handed mode of being with reality it's not that it's wrong, it's just very heavy-handed and inaccurate. We just identify with the the body, the person, and take the, the body and person's story and interpretations of things to be the truth and constantly are overlooking this fact that Peter so well points to 
it points to. So with such clarity and, and fun and it makes you want to explore. It makes you want to explore your experience when you listen to someone that, like that. Yeah. What this is, is inconceivable, incoherent, indeterminate. Reality has no fundamental patterning, yet can present as anything. All is experience, and experience occurs in consciousness. The source of suffering is misconception. We think we know what life is, what things are, what we are. Because we are that, because we are truth, we are reality, we have full access to explore and investigate what truly is. So he always said to notice nakedly the way this moment presents itself. Recognising what your field of experience actually is, since it is the prime fact, this actual event is all that matters. And this is awakening, enlightenment, liberation. There's no need to change. There are no conditions to fulfill. And so awakening is the assimilation of the direct evidence of what actually is. In spirituality, it's very, very common to suppose, you know, particularly in the earlier phases, that the idea of spirituality to make progress, to get it, to get the point, to get it, you have to either learn to do something that you're not doing or stop doing something that you are doing. And both of those are fallacies. Um, and the way that you discover their fallacies is by wading into them and discovering that they're, you can't actually <laughs> change anything. <laughs> you know, it's very common, for example, in, in many branches of spirituality, suppose that, oh, I have to stop thinking. I have to, a cessation of thought's going to do it. I just have to <coughs> stop thinking. And you, you can't stop thinking. You can only pretend to stop thinking. And then all these people think they're in deep meditation and they're pretending to not think. But in actuality, thought cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It can, it can be sort of transmuted to a subtler frequency or what have you. Again, this, these terms are very imprecise. It's not about stopping thinking, actually. It's more like undermining thought. <laughs> like, f- through seeing this, the thoughts mechanism and the way it causes these misinterpretations is undermined it's totally allowed to be there but it's it's like it has no weight to it anymore like these stories and stuff that pop up and the ideas of the way things are are more like playful musings about potential narrations about this scene as opposed to the actual scene itself Whereas we take the little narrations as to be the scene and we view it through those narrations and take that to be absolute. So, yeah, it's not about stopping thinking as it's taught in a lot of spirituality. It's, you can play with that as a kind of perspective point, Peter would say. You can try that, like you can try meditation, you can try all of these, these things. Personally, I meditate, you know, I lie down. I've what I do could loosely be called meditation. I lie down for two hours a day, <laughs> kind of explore my experience because I, I like lying down. <laughs> but um, the point is, though, what once you see, have seen enough times that this can't possibly be, des- be described 
And I always go back to this point that Colette said, her friend said, actually, that you can't think of right now. That's kind of stayed with me. You can't possibly think of right now. You can't describe right now. It just is impossible. So thoughts are always a lie, in a sense. They're just always, always wrong. 100% of the time, they're always inaccurate because they can't possibly, can't possibly contain what this is. No matter how profound the thought, it's always just too much for a, a thought to possibly contain in such a small stick figure symbol, <laughs> you know, of what's what's the actual occurrences with infinite information. You've got infinite information and you think that a thought can somehow tell you what's there. I think I've heard, I think it was Peter that used this example where, um, you know, you'd look at this amazing piece of art and there'd be, you know, just a little caption that went with it underneath. It would just say, like a two-line description of what the piece of art was, like that was going to cover what that piece was, this infinite richness and colour and creativity, this explosion of creativity on this canvas and depth and story and all that goes with it, just this infinite information of amazingness and then this like two-line description of what the piece is. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Life is like that. It's It, it is just... It's too much information to possibly get a hold of. See, but you don't need to get hold of it because you are it. It's like we're trying to catch the air with like a net or something, the air of what we are, like the presence of what we are. It can't be caught with nets of thoughts, you know. It's, but you can be it because you already are it. You can just notice that you are it. Anything that you're experiencing is in no way separate from you. It is your. It is you, actually. All of these spiritual theoretical traditions don't do us a lot of favors. They're not doing anyone a service by all these elaborations because they oftentimes paint a picture of how difficult and bleak and challenging, God, I have to get rid of all these afflictions that I've accumulated over numberless incarnations and it's, you know, blah, 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 purification, accumulation of merit, blah, blah, you know. It's 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 a uh, it's kind of a nice theory in a way, but it's 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 um, it's very cumbersome. It's very it implies. I mean, it's like why would you even bother? It's like oh well, maybe in a hundred thousand lifetimes I'll be pure, and it's like oh my god, does that does that sound pretty shitty or what? Mm-hmm. You know, how about how about just just seeing what, discovering what is the case right here right now. Outside of theories, because all these Buddhist theories and other theories are fine, but there's lots of theories and they're all mutually contradictory. And you may, you may have a history of accepting a certain theoretical basis as being more or less provisionally useful or, or not. But, you know, you could go out and find some other theoretical basis which is completely different, which contradicts that, which, you, which other people also accept. You know, all I advocate is just simple practicality, empiricism. It's like, well, okay, so, all my life, people have been telling me what this is. People have been telling me what I am. People have been telling me what's going on here. And everyone says something different. So there's this big hodgepodge of information about what's going on, and none of it agrees with itself. None of it's very clear. None of it's very useful. So how about you just scotch it all and reinvent the wheel to say, okay, I can figure this out myself. I don't need all these theories. I don't need the advice of dead people from the Far East thousands of years ago. How about 
why don't I look at what's happening right here, right now, for myself, and just see if it see if it's really that complicated. And what I'm what I'm here to say, you know, what I you can I mean by all means I you have to investigate this for yourself. But what I'm here to say is, it turns out it's not. It turns out it's quite simple. It turns out that all of our problems come from thinking our imagination matters. You know, how about just abandoning theory and just being really, really empirical? Be with just this that is happening. This that is right now. He would constantly lead you back to that point, and that was the whole quote-unquote path. It's all always here. Your experience is always utterly full to the brim with that radiance. It's just the interpretation of what that radiance is, or more accurately put, the ability that radiance has to misinterpret itself that causes the the suffering and the mundanity of, of what we seem to experience. Putting the cart before the horse is what we usually do. We put things from the personal point of view and then say we've got to get to this thing called radiant presence or whatever. But if you go direct to the cutting edge of what is here now, like the aliveness, the isness of what is here directly now, before you go off into any personal stuff about it, that's what is. That's all you've ever known. That's all that ever can be. And it's all contained there. All answers to all questions are contained there. And even the need for questions whatsoever can dissolve there because it just is and it's potent and it is the whole path. The more you're with it, it just teaches itself as you. You are it. <laughs> so you're not being with it. You are it. These are modes of exploration. These are ways of exploring your experience. They, they can be used as what Peter would call jump, jump off points, launch pads into infinity. You know, you can... You don't have to be doing a quote-unquote spiritual practice, but they can be used that way. Um, so, you know, like yoga, for example, you can the way you're feeling the body, the, the sensations and stuff, you can use that as a as a launch pad. You know, you have a lot of surge of anger and you're just, okay, right, I'm going to explore what that was, what that is. And you always find it's the same result. It's always the same result, which can't be said, obviously, but it's it's never something other than what Peter calls radiant presence. It's a, it's, a, it's a continuous flow of space-time, and where do you divide one portion of space-time from another? It cannot be done. You can't extricate anything from its milieu, because its milieu is it. You know, talking about you outside of the context of your history, outside of the context of your society, outside of the context of your family, outside of the context of the biosphere, outside of the context of the history of life on Earth, it's completely meaningless because you are one with it. It makes you, and you are an expression of it. So you can't, when I talk about you, I'm talking about the history of life on Earth because, because you're a continuum. It's like when you talk about a wave, you're talking about the ocean because there ain't no dotted line where the wave stops and the ocean starts. You know, the, the ocean... The wave is the ocean. The ocean is the wave. It's just designating, arbitrarily designating a portion of a whole system as if that portion was a separate part. And it isn't. There are no separate parts. Nothing exists in isolation. You know, even galaxies interact. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, 
and, and yet with our language we talk about things and actions and you know corporations and people and this every, every time you name something every time you put a noun on something you're subliminally claiming that it exists as an, or some degree of an autonomous entity and that, and that can't be found in reality because experience is not separated from itself you know you experience at this moment you experience your whole field of experience you don't experience separate people and chairs and rooms and we, we can put names on those things, but those names are arbitrary, they're like post-its, imaginary post-its you stick on your experience, which is as if there was a separation. It's like, it's like taking a, a picture, a photograph, and saying, oh look, this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so. They aren't there, it's, they're, they're patterns of light on a piece of paper. You have lightness and darkness, and you can't separate one from the other. You know, this is, the, the nature of reality is that it is not it can't be cut into pieces meaningfully and yet we pretend that it can be with our analysis which is why the analysis is completely erroneous because it excludes too much the labeling the splitting up creates this sense of fear and desire and fundamentally separateness and what Peter teaches is about coming to that portion of our experience that isn't characterized that way. And that portion of experience is always accessible. Just be with this directly, or as Peter often said, nakedly. You can also notice that the addition of mind, of conceptualizing, just happens spontaneously. You, you know, like you're not even involved in it, apparently. There's just this habitual labeling naming you can watch that as well just be in awe like wow isn't that amazing how this intelligence as mind can do this can split this all up apparently but is it really splitting it up that's the question do labels do concepts actually do anything do they amount to anything well no they don't because they're just beliefs they're just beliefs these words, these labels, these concepts, they're just beliefs. So what isn't belief-based? Well, reality. Delusion consists of addiction to specialness. Delusion consists of trying to find something that's great, that's wonderful, that's a problem solver, that's an achievement, that's a goal, that's glorious. And the reason that's a problem is because it diverts us from noticing what is actually supportive, actually, actually nutritious, actually valuable, actually will give you everything you want, which is normalcy, actuality. We look for specialness and it's like, I don't want this. You know, it's like, it's like the, the pauper, you know, who lives in a cave and all they have is their rock that they sleep on. You know, they put their head on the rock and that's their sole possession. And they, they just, they're sitting there wishing they could have something special. You know, and someone says, but you have this rock. He says, oh, I don't want the rock, I want something special. You know, the rock, they're ignoring the fact that the rock is a nugget of pure gold. And they're wanting something special. And they're ignoring the treasure that they actually have. And this is um, a bit of a stretch. But nonetheless, it is, it's, a, it's a very accurate analogy for the situation here. That which is valuable, that which is... Um, Sustaining that which is nourishing, that which will, it gives everything, gives all qualities, is all value, is absolute normalcy, absolute 
You see that you are in a condition of absolute fulfillment where nothing whatsoever is missing or wrong or problematic, a state of completeness, a state of wholeness. We have this word healing, to heal, which etymologically comes from whole, to make whole. And since what this is intrinsically and inherently is a wholeness, realizing that that is the case, of course, is the ultimate healing. It affects a complete realization that you are intrinsically whole, intrinsically in a condition of wholeness. All of our problems, all of our dissatisfaction, all frustration, all sense of separateness, dependence, weakness, failure, suffering, follows completely from misinterpreting what is here. And on the other hand, coming to see, coming to understand what is here as it actually is, is what is called enlightenment. It's called liberation. It's called realization. To move from a sense of bondage to a sense of liberation simply means to become more sensitive to the the, 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 the quantity and the qualities of the degree of unpatternedness which is present within experience. Um, now the patterning and the unpatternedness are very interesting because they conceptually they seem to be, you'd think they were opposites, but they aren't opposites, they coexist. Um, they interpenetrate each other, they are aspects of each other in a way which is um, not very rationally describable or addressable. So why not shift into a new way of looking, exploring, and look through the eyes of love? Now, as Peter always says, to do that, we have to put aside our usual habitual lack-based mode, which is knowing life through the mind rather than just through pure knowing. The mind adds the conceptualizing aspect. It splits things up. And even to say it kind of rarefies it and, and turns it into something. And actually, there is no thing called the mind. Even that's a label. Really, the mind is intelligence. It's just pure intelligence appearing as what could be called the mind and therefore what could be called the intellectualizing and dualizing mode of this navigation. I say these words like divine intelligence and it's easy to go, oh yeah, you know, what divine intelligence? But where does intelligence come from? Where does the force that is arranging the exact and precise disposition and interaction of all these quarks and atoms come from? What power is doing that? What power is making all of this functionality happen so astoundingly precisely and exactly the way it is? What force is making your heartbeat and regulating your blood pressure? Well, in my case, it's blood pressure medication, but... <laughs> what, but what force is putting thoughts in your head? What force is making the sunshine? What force is making gravity hold everything down with exactly the precise mode in proportion to the degree of its mass and distance from the center of the earth, etc., etc. Where's that coming from? What's doing that? You know? 
It's inconceivable. It's absolutely inconceivable. It's just to, to take it as a given is easy. Well, it's just there. That's just the way things are. Well, cool. That's fine. But that doesn't really answer the question, does it? What's doing it? What is it? What is this astounding, inconceivable functionality and synchronicity that where everything works together like this astounding clockwork? You know, I to me, it's not too much of a leap. It's not too going too far out into left field to call that an intelligence. And since it's essentially miraculous, it comes from nowhere, it just, bang, it just is. Um, calling it divine is kind of nice. I mean, God is sort of a, on this wonderful, silly notion that, you know, it's easy to, it's sort of the ultimate, the ultimate fuzzy. You know, you can't say what it is, so you can sort of hang anything on it. But it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful notion for that very regard, because in its very ambiguity, in its very extreme, absolute nature, the fact that you can't, there's no way you can get a handle on what God is, what God means. So that rather, that notion rather nicely illustrates this principle of absolute mystery that all of this ultimately boils down to. All of this, this right here, and again, I'm not trying to talk in abstractions. I'm talking about this actual fact. This that is right here, this that is actual, that is real, that is present. You know, what's doing it? Where's it coming from? So, when I say divine intelligence, I'm not trying to be metaphorical or poetic or religious or um, arrogant, I'm trying to indicate very precisely that there's something astounding that's actually here, that's actually functional, that's absolutely inconceivable, and yet is the farthest thing from an abstraction that there is. It's the most actual thing. It's this actuality of functionality that you're experience is evidence of and is ultimately consists of and is made of and is doing it. So I'm trying to illustrate and indicate something that is profoundly concrete, not in the least abstract or metaphorical or poetic. All these patterns of conditioning can go on, they can continue to play out. It's no real problem. There's nothing to change or get rid of, only to discern truly. So Peter said, the shortest path is to notice your experience at its rawest presence, at its most spontaneous and least elaborated fact of being. Again, notice the elaborations, notice the apparently kind of impure layer of concept, and then see that there's no impurity there. There's no real distortion. Reality can't really distort itself. It can't really trick itself because there's only that can't overlook this how can you overlook it that's all there is but to experience that way knowingly it's to notice just to notice this moment closely clearly to suspend whatever you think you are whatever you think reality is and in the space of that unknowing and indeterminacy to look and see what's actually here. 
what this actually is and let it show you what it is because it's not hidden, it's not concealed, it's not being blocked by anything other than itself. Everything whatsoever is an experience of it knowing itself. A realization is just a discovery that there is no particular level. Realization is really just a discovery or noticing of the arbitrariness of it all. Realization is discovering that all frames of reference are arbitrary. Before realization, we entertain the fantasy that there is some frame of reference that is more true than some other frame of reference. Realization consists of the discovery that that is not the case, that any frame of reference is equally arbitrary um, and hence essentially interchangeable. And there is no condition of no frame of reference. So, so as a result, it's essentially discovering that one is insane, one is incurably insane, and that is the sole condition. So there's no possibility of ever being cured. You just have an insanity. You're inevitably insane in one, in one guise or another. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. The drive to seeking and resolution is based on the fantasy that there's some ultimate frame of reference that is better than a current, either a current frame of reference or, or some, you know. In other words, there's a goal that is meaningful. And realization consists of the discovery that there is no goal. It's a discovery of, you could say, absolute relativity. So there's no, there's no gauge of get, being further along or less further along. There's no gauge of achieving or non-achieving. There's no ga gauge of improving or not, or not improving. It, you know, the, so if, it's, if there's nothing but sliding scale, with no extremes whatsoever, it's kind of a big load off. <laughs> and it's the cessation of seeking, per se, without the cessation of any of these modes of activity, but you're no longer orienting to the fantasy that there's something to achieve. Because you get that anything that's achievable would be this that is already the case. So achieving something, achieving it is an absurdity. I mean, suppose you realize some astounding whatever, that astounding whatever would be nothing other than this that is here now. And realization consists of the direct, naked, self-verifying realization of that fact. So it's kind of a non-event because it's just noticing and appreciating what has always been the case. But you're no longer holding it to be other than it is. This is the great thing about it. It's always there. It's an open invitation, constantly refreshing, going, are you ready now? You can have a look now, see what it is, this thing you've been scared of. You can look at it. Is it scary when you really feel into it, when you really look at it? Is it actually what you thought it was? In the recent talk I was listening to uh, from our uploads of Peter, he was saying, you know, it's like a ghost. It's being like confronted with a ghost. You can either run away from the ghost or you can walk straight towards it and you end up walking through it, you know, and see that it's not a problem. That's kind of that attitude, grabbing the ball by the horns, like being directly with whatever the phenomena is. Because it's all you, it's all reality, it's all deeply intimate. It's not something other that's attacking you. It's always you. It's just you're not recognizing it. You're not noticing the fact of what it is yeah and so because there's only reality 
and you are that, you can't really overlook it. You can't not recognize it. You can't not know because all there is is knowing. This word overlook means to look past, to fail to notice. But what you're looking at instead is also truth. So it's impossible to miss it. There's just so many ways it seems to explore yourself as reality. There can be the overlooking mode. There can be the direct engagement, tuning into the actuality, the non-intellectual feeling mode of reality. And I'm sure infinite other modes of exploring and navigating and integrating yourself. All modes are equal. It's all okay. All of this, whatever this is, this pure radiance of being, of presence, none of it comes with a ready-made label. So therefore, none of it is split up. It's just the wholeness of experiencing, the wholeness of experience. Sometimes we can hear this stuff and, and think, oh, okay, so, oh, I have to stop thinking. I have to stop labeling. I have to stop naming this. Okay, how do I do that then? Oh, I have to stop thinking. So, hmm, that's hard. <laughs> oh, is it, is it about doing lots of meditation? Is it about doing lots of practice? Will, it, will I get to this point where I'm kind of like a Zen monk and I'm just pure, there's just pureness of, of experience? Well, that's already happening. And so you don't have to live that way, not labeling. That labeling happens, as I said, it's just spontaneous. You don't have to go on not doing anything because that's still a position. Just not doing anything is still a position. So it's still a doing. So the point of this is to get close to what's actually happening, close enough to recognize truth. And then because you recognize truth, you also recognize that all of this, this other mode of, of lack and fear and desire and, and all of what it amounts to, it's, it's just as pure and innocent as truth itself because it is truth itself picking a side of duality is not non-duality picking the enlightened side of duality is not one that's you choosing one and there's still another one that's kind of lurking that's two so this play of paradox this play of the two sides this play of the emptiness in the fullness and the peace amidst the chaos, that is it. You can't permanently settle in either one of those things. It's not possible. It's good news that you can't settle into chaos forever. And it might appear as bad news that you can't settle into peace forever, but you'd be doing a disservice to reality. It's exactly in the middle where one finds oneself, just at almost suspended and even though you sway from side to side, you don't even actually move. Because by the time you've reached the bottom of the mountain, you realize that, you know, you actually circled back around. The mountain route took you back to where you began. There was never a problem. All of this was always formless. All of this was always you. It was always empty, always peaceful. Exactly. It's not either the person or space-like awareness. It's both the expression we're calling the person and awareness, which is the 
origin, the very essence of the expression we're calling the person, you are always awareness. And sometimes you express yourself as the person. To quote uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, the person merges into the witness, the witness into awareness, awareness into pure being. Yet identity is not lost, only its limitations are lost. It is transfigured and becomes the real self, the Sadguru, the eternal friend and guide. Often on this path we start off doing some practice like meditation and we find that we are the witness. I'm not the person. I can witness, I can observe the person. I can observe the body, I can observe the mind, I can observe the sense of self, the egoic core of contraction. The southward facing path, as you said, the inward facing path, the path of discrimination, the path of negation. Not this, not this. Identity is not lost. You can still experience yourself as a person. You can still go about and do your thing and enjoy what you enjoy and have relationships. Yet you know yourself as unlimited. You're not limited to anything you experience, anything you do, any part of the persona. Your limitations are lost. You are transfigured. You know yourself as the self and there is permission to be anything you might choose to be as the self. It's important not just to, you know, drop the false ideas and and see that the world is unreal and only consciousness is real, only awareness is real. To release your attention from the objective content of experience because we've been so hyper-focused on all of that stuff, as we've been saying. It's important to recognise that the, the very nature of content is experiencing itself and to recognize that no experience is limited to what it seems to be you know you explore objective experience you find there's no difference between you the subject and the objects you're aware of and this is love this is the collapse of this apparent divide between you and i we are one we are wholeness together in language that makes no sense how can we be both whole and together? How can we experience one another and be this whole? It makes no sense, logically. But in reality, we are one and we're experiencing this togetherness. Knowing that this togetherness is not actual in the absolute sense, yet we, as the I, as the whole, permit this beautiful expression of togetherness and we call that love. And I think at some point you have to become disillusioned with the avoidance tactics to really look. It's like the last ditch attempt going, fine, you've been here this whole time in various ways. I keep trying to get rid of you. I have moments of peace. I have moments of clarity. I have moments of calm. But you keep coming back. Let me just look at you. Let me talk to you. And then look directly at it. Don't have any intention to get rid of it at all. Meet it directly. Be willing to look and see what's actually there. And with no false promises that it will get rid of it, 
with no expectations that it will transform into anything. It will turn into golden light and you'll just disappear in, into the ether as a as an ethereal smile <laughs> and everything will be beautiful again. But just because something deeper in you knows, knows with a capital K, knows that there's nothing outside of God and knows that this energy isn't outside of you and that it's nothing to be afraid of. And if you track it back, it's all a magic trick. There's, it, it, the fear is only a fear of fear. The fear is only fear of fear. You know, stacks of stacks and stacks of fear that are protecting, are walls protecting nothing. So when you look directly at it, be on the cutting edge of looking at it. Don't expect anything. Just because you just want to know, you want to understand. Just because of understanding, because of curiosity, because of something in you deeper that knows the inner guru is pulling you towards looking at it. They're saying, take a look, look at what it is. Don't look away. Don't distract yourself into the world of thought and take yourself on another ride. Just look at it directly. And and just like you're looking at the sun, all it was is energy I just pushed away in every possible way. My whole life just rejected energy. I just pushed away. The radiance had been pushed away and turned into darkness. But only if radiance is all that exists, then only the idea of darkness can exist. And the idea of darkness had prevented me from seeing the radiance. Only thing I can compare it to is in a dream, you've got a monster chasing you. And you won't, don't want to look at it because it's too terrifying. Yet when you turn around, you look at the monster, and there's no problem. You realize you're dreaming. It's, it just is neutralized. The monster's not there. It's only scary while you're running away from it. The way to treat it is, ah, here it is. The opportunity, like, come close and I can look at it and get to know it and see what it is. It's made an appearance. It's the thing I've been afraid of. Let me get to know it. That's the only way through fear, <laughs> to the other side of fear, is through fear itself, looking directly at fear. How do you become less afraid of the dark? You spend some time in the dark and realize there's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to go anywhere to find home. When you really look at it, you realize you, you didn't go. You didn't go anywhere from home. How, how It doesn't take any time to find your way back to home because what is experiencing the distance from home is home itself. You're dreaming distance from home, <laughs> within home. So it takes you zero time, zero duration to find your way back because you're already there even when you're at a distance from home seemingly that's like the main advantage we have is delusion can be cut straight through in an instant by just a recognition of wait what's experiencing this wait how is this arising what is it made of like any of that just like what is this <laughs> like a lucid dream you just takes you one moment to go wait is this wait what is this and the whole dream becomes a playground instead of something I'm afraid of because I know the dream's me. 